And we're back with the Texas Oil and Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. Back again, Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, episode 221. Ryan was slow on the rip. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, friend and co-host Ryan Ray. All right, Ryan. Uh, that was, uh, you had a little delay in there, so I was trying a little, to make it for it. <laughs> you got 60, for the 60 first, milliseconds and I'm jumping in. Yeah, for the first time in the history of the podcast, as soon as it says live, you start speaking. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. My bad. My bad. I should have known today you're on your A game. Much apologies. Much apologies. So it's good to be back though, man. How you doing? Doing good, man. Doing good. I'm, uh, Feeling good. Um, man, looking at the the price of oil, that's always something good to wake up. You know, Monday morning you wake up and you, you're thinking WTI has a chance of hitting 80 by the end of the day. Uh, that's uh, that's good news. Brent's up around eight, 82 almost. Natural gas about to hit six. Um, life's good, man. It's crazy right now, isn't it? I mean, it is. It, it is. It is crazy out there. And reminder, let's see here. We are... Coming up on the end of October, which means if you're an accredited investor and you want to capitalize on some of these high oil and gas prices, you need to talk to the good folks at Jubilee Royalty. I invested in Fund 1. I invested in Fund 2. Um, would like to have you along with us for the ride. JubileeRoyalty.com is where you can find out more information or reach out to me. I'll put you in contact with the good folks over there at Jubilee. Mr. Mr. Shelton. Got a big show today. Got a guest coming on here in about, oh, I need to send an invite, probably 11 minutes. Um, so I'm inviting and lots to get to. So, yeah, let's jump into it. So, we've been talking about inflation. Mm. Now, I know nobody's noticed inflation. No one. No wh- one. Wh- where are uh, you seeing this inflation at, Josh? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of a, uh, uh, a little clip of uh, Biden when he said he's going to pass this infrastructure bill of three point five trillion, where they're going to print more money, and and he uh, said that it'll help reduce inflation. Printing three and a half trillion dollars, obviously, will help reduce inflation. Um, obviously, it helped reduce inflation over the last year and a half. Uh, not just Biden, Trump printing two trillion, all the money we're printing that that's certainly helped push down inflation. Uh, obviously obviously we can see it all around us it's so obvious no inflation um so there's an article hard energy hyperinflation crude oil prices to infinity and beyond find out why crude rising crude oil prices could pose a hyperinflationary threat to the u.s economy um so uh, essentially this article is dealing with not only inflation but also just supply chain issues, mm-hmm. cost of energy going up. Um, so it, it's not just inflation, but inflation is playing one significant part. Uh, and it's uh, something that I think a lot of economists are a little nervous about right now. Well, well, they should be, right? I mean, you talk about you went and got a truck and you're talking about going in the dealerships and how they were trying to go and buy other new trucks from new places and I drove past one of the dealerships here in town the day and they had like seven trucks in the car lot. <laughs> like there's like, this is a, a, a prime dealership, like a, like a Chevy or Ford or I can't remember which one it was, but it, it wasn't like a used car lot. 
they had like seven to ten trucks just on the on the lot. It's empty. It's like wow, what what is what is going on? Um, you know, and of course, Diet Dr Pepper should sponsor this show because that's Josh and I's favorite drink. Um, and it's not only ours. It appear, it's everyone in Hood County drinks Diet Dr Pepper <laughs> because it, when you when you go to the store, they're gone. And is that? But you could keep unpacking this and go further and further down the road. Uh, we had Mark Rosano on Inside the War Room talking about this. Um, and there's pasta. There's a box of pasta out there. I can't remember who makes it, but um, you know it's the same size box. But if you look at the grams, it, it's significantly reduced. Um, you know, like by 30 percent from one box six months ago to now. So it's shrinkflation, right? So the inflation is causing shrinkflation. Um, so the higher oil, oil and gas prices get, we're just going to see more of this throughout the economy. And so this, and we have, as you mentioned, we have other problems in the economy. That if the economy was roaring like it normally or like it has historically, rather, um, the seventy-five dollar oil price might not be the end of the world. But at this point, you're sitting around going, "Man, you know, you're putting the squeeze on people from so many different directions, and it looks like it's only going to go up because there's not enough U.S. rigs coming online." OPEC, we're talking about in a second; they're not increasing enough. So it's it's, it's good news for part of the economy, it seems, but by and large, it's not. And you have to wonder at what point does does it kind of, you know, it kind of break because it's, it gets so high. Yeah. I mean, just, just for a little bit of perspective, Ryan, just going back to the beginning of all this, um, they passed, I believe three stimuluses right now, right now in, in the, the government start circulating. We have 7 trillion of government directed, government directed stimulus just floating around 7 trillion. Now, just for a little bit of perspective, I think that's double a G- our, our GDP for a year. It's like over double. Um, and and one of the things that we've been talking about from the beginning, Ron, is, is that um, when you print $7 trillion more of these things we call dollars, all the other dollars lose a little bit of value and everything becomes a little bit more expensive. And that's exactly what we're seeing happen. And it's, uh, I mean, they, they I mean, if you're interested in this, somebody really needs to go check this hard energy uh, article out. There's a little uh, graph with velocity of money relative to the S&P index. If you look at the velocity of money and how bad it dropped uh, right around the, the pandemic of 2020, I mean, it's the biggest, steepest drop in the last 20 years. Easy. Um, and that, which means that inflation is is happening right now at a rate that we haven't seen. Even the 08, 09 crisis, the, 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 the drop was nothing like what we're seeing right now. Yeah. And, and, it wasn't even close. And, and going back to the shrinkflation analogy, it's kind of hard for the average consumer to understand where it's all happening at. Because, you know, if you go buying your pasta and you're not looking to see that the pasta is um, a less amount than it was before, it's the same box. You might not realize that you're getting less bang for your buck until your food, your, you know, your $400 a month grocery bill or whatever it is, um, doesn't get you as far as it used to. Then you go, huh. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. And it, it makes you wonder where people will look to push their money. Will this help push people to the oil and gas industry um, because they feel like the returns are finally there? They can make money. Uh, or will it push people further away because we're kind of in this weird spot and people aren't really sure uh, what to do. They want to go invest in the stock market because they might think it gets all-time ties. Hopefully, this will push capital back to the industry. So, yeah, that's uh, that's one. That would be one positive. Um, so, just put a little icing on the cake, Ryan. So, when I said there was seven trillion, that doesn't include the six trillion they're debating right now. Um, 
think I think I think, I think there's three and a half that they're. I mean, I think they're close to getting three and a half trillion through. So that's going to be ten and a half trillion and since the beginning, uh, which those numbers boggle the mind. I mean, <laughs> yeah, they make no I, sense. They it's on. It's unbelievable uh, what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. I, I think one congressman was up and said, I think it was a fourteen hundred page deal. Each page was worth, I think, like over a billion, like each page. <laughs> so, I mean, you're, we're talking ridiculous amounts of money. And, I mean, yeah, so um, that's something to watch for. So moving on, Ryan, we have two other articles I wanted, both of them dealing with OPEC, um, both of them kind of talking about the recent meeting where OPEC uh, agrees to um, – stick to their plan for a gradual oil output hike. So this uh, this comes out and basically ensures that oil prices are going to continue to rise. I say guarantees. Makes it very likely. It makes it yeah, increases the likelihood, right? Yeah. Uh, so with that, uh, that's why I was saying, you know, crude oil, let's, let's see how much is up since we started the podcast. Let's see. No, uh, about the same. Uh, that's why we're, we're talking that these prices are probably going to continue to go higher. Um, so that if they're doing that, we're have a, a winter coming up. We're going to need, we're going to need energy, especially in places like Texas. Uh, we, we should see demand, uh, pretty strong this year and supply is going to be low. So those prices should continue to go up. And you have to wonder about natural gas prices and kind of going into winter again, you know, it feels like a long time ago, but Snowmageddon was just what six, seven months ago. Um, will crazy, people, yeah. I know. Will people look to buy generators to kind of prepare for stuff? So will you see demand coming from unique areas? But you have to wonder um, what is it going to take if OPEC saying that they're not going to keep the, the the price, they're not going to increase. OPEC has really done a good job of getting the predictions right this year. Last year with the Saudi Russia stuff, obviously it was a big fandango, but this year the way they've handle things has gone pretty well so you think of someone like jay young or some of these other smaller operators that are out there raising capital right now will this help them turn over and get the capital they need and it should because the prices are in some kind of lockdown or in some kind of um you know reset again it should stay high now at some point you would expect that the consumers are going to have to quit buying um at the same rate that they are now does that mean that we get bad economic numbers in the winter for um, you know travel for holiday season or for Christmas buying? I don't know. You know, maybe push it on to next year. Um, but you know, it, there, there's there's just a question of how much more can the consumers take. Um, and, and until then, we need to figure out ways in the U.S. to increase the investing to these operators to help offset that. Right. So we don't want the price to come back crashing down, but if we can you know, knock it back down just a smidge. And keep it in kind of that sweet spot that NAS talks about 68 to 74. Um, I think that's what we need to do. But we're not seeing the investment coming. And we know that OPEC, at least for now, is not going to increase. Well, okay, they're going to increase, but not going to increase upon their their um, their projections. So that should should drive capital to the industry, right? Should, yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's been one of the problems that people have. We need more capital. LinkedIn user. Hey, guys, you see who that is, uh, Ryan, or is that? Uh, who it is it either. I don't know. Link, LinkedIn user. Shoot us a name, man. Give you a shout. Uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I think that would be that would be the 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 silver lining would be some of these things could potentially drive some money to the industry. Um, if 
if there's a shortage of supply, Ryan, this is a question that I've been just pondering. If there's a shortage of supply and there's a, hey, Stu, uh, if there's a shortage of supply and there's a difficulty in getting um, necessary energy to different places in the country, say Texas, mm-hmm. Blackout, or California, New York, uh, different areas where prices begin to go up steeply, kind of like inflation, uh, they start going up. At a, at a more rapid rate. Do you think the current administration would be able to call for more energy production without absolutely you know, riling up their, their base with climate ESG and all of that? Now, that's the question is, are they in a position where they can say, look, we, we need energy and, and call for it? Or do you think they're, I mean, obviously, I say, obviously, the thing they would probably have to do is, is reach out to other countries to begin importing a lot kind of under the table, not get in any news, because it's, since it's not being drilled here, they probably won't care. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think the Biden, so we, you had the midterms. I think the question is going to be is, will you see production increase in the first half of 2022? If not, barring it going crazy, the second half of 2022, I don't think you're going to see a bunch of more rigs come on the market because you have midterms, right? Um yeah. So maybe by 2023, according to Stu, the Saudi the Saudis have announced that they will have a, bur- a budget surplus in 2023. Uh, Stu, we're just talking about Jay Young and his group. Um, are, are, are you guys seeing these higher prices help with um, the fundraising that he's talked about um, with King Operating? Let us know. Okay, let's see. I think our guest is here. Let's go ahead and uh, see if we can get him on. Uh, Stephanos, can you hear us? Um, okay. I don't think he can hear us. Um, let's put him back in the green room for now. Okay. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I'd be curious to see what Stu's, um, Stu's comments are on that because in, and so Jay Young, obviously in in King operating, is not going to bring the price down single-handedly, but, um, that mentality of can these, um, smaller producers get money? Yes, he's on TD Ameritrade talking about it now. Why is he down here talking about us, too? What's 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 going on? I mean, like, what, what's up with that? I don't even understand that. Like, why is he going on some fringe network like that? I know. Yeah. Well, it's here. Uh, Stephanos, can you hear us? Let's see here. Live podcasting is the best. So, um, okay, we'll leave Stephanos in here and see if he can come if he comes on here in a second. Well, you know, TD Ameritrade. They're like settling for the field goal. I mean, you should have went for the touchdown, you know. <laughs> exactly. I mean, why would you go on a like a fringe network that no one watches or listens to and you come on the greatest one guest podcast in the history of mankind? Um so um let's see here. He says he can hear us. Um anyways, um speaking of which, um Gosh, next week we have on that congressman, uh, Jody Arrington, coming on. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so hopefully that will be that will be good. Okay, he's going to rejoin here, so I don't know what that means. Let's get uh, Yes, I'll, let's see here. Can we just put this up like there? Does that show up? Does the chat show up? No. Yes, I'll, well, I oh, think well, so. Oh, well, well, it was supposed to be on this. Maybe... I don't. I don't know. It's supposed to be an overlay, but I don't. I don't see it. Anyways, okay. It, it overlaid when he said something. 
Oh, okay. Yes, dude, you can come on anytime. You know that. You know that. You know that. So, uh, okay, let's hit one more story while we're waiting on Stefanos to see if he can uh, get his technology okay. worked out. All right. So, uh, PM Johnson says all UK electricity will be green by 2035. This is more of looking at. Flies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, this is this is more of you know I'm not wanting to jump into you know UK UK's policy. It's just looking at other countries and what they're saying about their aims for uh, electric vehicles going green by 2035. A lot of these countries are doing this, and that's coming out at precisely the time that we're seeing an issue with supply. So all of this. Uh, all, all of these talks are just kind of ignoring the situation. So I'm just wondering, and I've been, I've been uh, trying to follow uh, Dr. Anas and seeing some of the stuff that he's saying. Oh, did uh, you see it? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Did you see his tweet this weekend about Elon Musk? Uh-uh. Oh, let me see pull it up here. So Anas sent out a tweet this weekend um, from Elon. Not, not, so Elon Musk was quoted somewhere. Um, where is he at? Oh, man, it was a good one, too. Anas is like a serial tweeter. He is on it. Um, okay, yeah, here it is. So this is from October 3rd. Barron's. Tesla's Musk says U.S. electricity production needs to double to power transition to EV vehicles. That's October 3rd this year. Anas Alahaji. June 1, 2017. <laughs> Worth <laughs> noting here that if the U.S. were to change all cars to electric autonomous power generation needs to double and grid to triple. <laughs> so he, he was telling, uh, he was telling, uh, um, Elon that he, he's owed a, he's owed a thank you. So, okay, let's see here. I think Stephanos is back. Let's see here. Can you hear us? Stephanos? Uh, what's, what's that? Can... Hey, Hey, there, there he is. is. Okay. There all we right. go. All right. Sorry all right. about that. I think it was browser settings on my end. No worries. Let's put you on the big screen here. There you go. Okay. Right. Why don't you give a quick 30-second introduction, and let's get into this bad boy. All right. Let's do it. Um, thanks so much for having me. I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm an actual listener. I've uh, During the pandemic, I pretty much binge listened to all the back catalog. Um, it's, it's great to be doing this in real life. Uh, maybe uh, proof positive at simulation theory, and uh, <laughs> the loop is closed. I don't know. But anyway, I'm happy to be here. Well, great. Um, so tell us what you do. Yeah, so I look after business development for um, Evaleap. Uh, we're a software and services company uh, based in Houston, Texas. Um, we um, um, we cater to the energy industry. Um, we uh, we have a you know, number number of products. Um, the company actually, uh, or I should say, the individuals in the company were on the forefront of uh, digital transformation in the the early two uh, thousands, or I guess you'd say aughts, or it's always hard to say collectively how you call that decade. Uh, yeah. Uh, 2019, I was so happy. I'm like, yes, we're finally know what to call this thing. You're like, oh, wait. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just we're in the right. roaring 20s now. So, right. Um, yeah, but, but we were on the forefront of uh, digital transformation um, in a, in a, in a, actually one of the largest engineering companies within the flow assurance vertical. Um, uh, it was kind of frustrating that we saw, um, you know, all the stuff that was going on in Silicon Valley with, you know, just these leaps and bounds and it seemed like in the oil patch it was you know, information was kind of siloed and didn't seem like we were using the best practices um so you know the the genesis of the company was was really just to um uh take an evolutionary leap 
uh, you know, go go into the the next phase and, and really bring some of the know-how from the software uh, industry into the, the oil industry. Okay. Well, if you've listened to the show, you know that Josh can't pronounce names or, or <laughs> so yeah. let's, let's get your name out there one time just so Josh doesn't mess it up. I, I, I've got it, of course, but Josh might not get it. How about Steph? Steph, that works for us. Okay. Steph, we, can, like that. we can say that. Okay. So uh, Josh and I have talked, this has been 2018, 2017, about the oil and gas industry, about technology. And, and for a while it felt like, okay, if you go back to, I don't know, early 2000s, 90s, whatever, we went from like the Motorola Razor to iPhone at some point. It really had a big jump to about you know, fracking and stuff like that. Since then, there have been uh, progressions, but a lot of it's been more like the iPhone 1 or the iPhone 2, whatever it is, uh, sequential iPhones. You know, we're the 13 now, I think. Um, so you guys talking about making kind of a leap forward. Are you trying to take the industry to that gap with like a Motorola to an iPhone? Or is it just kind of a, another iteration of what we're seeing? How, how much of a leap forward are you trying to push the industry? Um, you know, I, I, I think it, it is an incremental, uh, in, in a way it's kind of both. And I, I know it sounds like a cop-out answer. Um, you know, it, it is incremental in that we're, we're definitely building on, on current infrastructure. Um, I think with, uh, with cloud computing and some of the computer science techniques out there, uh, you know, that, that is the evolutionary leap forward, but it's incremental in that, um, how it's applied is, is crucial. Um, you know, it, it it, it's not like an AI is not an easy button or, or you know, uh, buzzword du jour. It doesn't just happen. It's got to be guided by experience. And, and that's kind of our, you know, even our, our motto as a company is we're guided by experience, enhanced by technology. And, you know, that, that's exactly what we're uh, trying to build, uh, to build and bring uh, you know, to the industry. Yeah. So I work with a, with a uh, tech startup, I don't know, Internet of Things, Machine Learning. And, and one of the things we're always trying to figure out is, how to message it so right. there's there's problems that we can solve and there's problems that that are out there that we don't know about that we could solve so let's go through the problems of the industry that you guys are seeing um what are the ones that you are currently trying to solve uh and then what are the ones that maybe you're, you're trying to think about that that you haven't fully grasped but you go you know what uh theoretically we want to expand into these areas right um that's a great question um so let, let me just preface preface that by saying um we do a lot uh offshore um you know we've been doing deep water development um specifically with uh, multi-phase um, transient simulation um I, I really wanted to talk about our value proposition more for onshore um in this call because uh, you know for, it, it seems like that's maybe where the audience's uh, interest lies so yes. i think where we can help there is um basically de-bottling, de-bottlenecking rather, um, gathering networks and pipelines. Um, there's, uh, you know, onshore is more accessible uh, in terms of, you know, uh, um, an operator can, can go there and look at it as opposed to something under under the water or underground or something. Um, but uh, I think I think the, the caveat or the trade-off is that uh, you might not have as much metering. You might not, you don't often have the same uh, data frequency or data quality on onshore operations. And I think that's where um, technology enhanced systems can really add value. Uh, we can look at what you have. Uh, we can uh, merge uh, physics-based models, you know, kind of to fill in the gaps between sensor locations. Um, we can, we, uh, we have a lot of experience um, looking at uh, data trending, kind of sanitizing data. You know, the pressure transducer says you're, you're hopping up and down. Is that real or, or did somebody, you know, 
connect a wire uh, wrong. Um, and in terms of, so, so, you know, that's where I think we can add a lot of value. Uh, things like, um, you know, even onshore wax and hydrates are an issue. Um, and then you've got, you know, we're talking about the Permian or, or uh, Barnett or, you know, shale in general. Um, is the reservoir depleting or do you have some kind of a blockage? You know, is your hydraulic diameter reduced due to wax or scale or, or what have you? Um, you know, or is it just reservoir depleting or, or is it both simultaneously? You know, the, the, the answer, you can, you can uh, derive this kind of thing from production history data. It's not always trivial or obvious to, to say, uh, you know, just by looking at it, say, oh, yeah, it's that. Um, so I think that's where we can add a lot of value. Uh, you know, we, we produce software that we use in-house. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of a differentiator. And we, we've also uh, uh, developed and deployed a lot of systems worldwide. Um, so I think that that experience, along with the novel technology we have, is, is really where we can add value. Then uh, to the second part of your, your question, uh, where, where uh, I see the, um, us going as a company, I think uh, asset integrity management is huge, namely around uh, corrosion. Um, you know, this, this is, uh, I, I think that um, the reality is that, you know, as, as you look at things like drone-based inspection and, you know, the, no matter how you boil, it always comes down to, uh, you know, less boots on the ground. So, you know, to me, that means you're going to need better models. You're going to need to understand uh, the flowing systems better. Um, you know, corrosion is one of those key things um, that, you know, that I think we could really add some value to in the future. Yeah, Josh, I want you to hop in here in a second, but real quick, let me ask you this. Um, so when you think about these things, uh, one of the big problems that the industry has faced is how to improve returns for investors, right? And so what you're talking about, it sounds like is, okay, hey, there's certain areas in which we're, we're seeing that we could increase profitability, either through maybe preventive measure or a something that's being lost. Um, so is, is that kind of what you guys are looking for is ways uh, where there's potential waste or um, preventive waste measures that you're, that you're trying to tackle? Absolutely. Wait, um, enhancing production and also on the design side, just designing smarter. Um, you know, when, when you look at, uh, you know, you've got a, you've got a, a, a lot of well pads gathered, maybe, maybe not even um, uh, adjacent to each other. You know, how are you going to produce these? Is it going to be trucks? Is it going to be a gathering network? If so, how should that be connected? Um, you know, that, that's a hard problem. And, uh, you know, there's, there's uh, techniques that, that have been uh, perfected in the software industry you know, like the, the old traveling salesman algorithm, for instance, you know, that, that could tell you the, uh, you know, potentially the best way of, of aligning all these, these wells together and flowing back to, to some kind of source or, or, you know, maybe it is trucks, you know, the, 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 the data and uh, simulations can, can tell you this sort of thing. So um, what are some of the things you're seeing in the industry right now in terms of ESG and, and ways that uh, that's been one of the big concerns in the oil patch uh, concerns with ESG, are there things with the, the data that y'all provide that um, can help companies at least um, show up um, or present themselves in, in a more ESG friendly way? Um, um, you know, yeah, the, the short answer is yes. Uh, this is kind of one of my, um, my, uh, what do you call it? Pet, pet, uh, uh, pet talking points, um, yeah. you know, the, uh, you know, the term greenwashing gets thrown around from time to time. Um, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, is it real? Is it just for investors? I mean, who knows? It's, it is kind of, you know, not to go out too far off on a tangent, but, uh, 
it's one of these things where you know I look at some of our competitors and you know you, you see the sunshines and windmills and you're like oh okay that's what you do and then you're like well I know that's not what you do but okay sure you know we're we are uh, we're an oil and gas um, service company you know that's what we do um, but you know that said we we do care about the environment uh, we've worked with um, some major companies to uh, do custom development work um, for apps specifically around uh, fugitive uh, methane emissions tracking. Um, uh, and, and then the data derived from our system, I think also can, can uh, really help to show that, uh, you know, they're doing their due diligence, you know, that, that they are uh, preventatively looking at um, asset integrity, you know, ensuring that leaks don't happen. Um, you know, we, we, we do a lot of uh, analysis around uh, what worst case discharge could be. Um, you know, so I, I think that that can help a bit, but, you know, is it going to make um, the Wall Street crowd happy? I, I, I don't want to promise that. Well, I, mean, I think this is part of the thing that the industry has to, to figure out how to message, which is tracking a barrel of oil from the ground all the way to the refiner is ESG, right? Because right. we, we want to make sure that we know where it's at at all times. And so on one hand, you increase profitability by not losing that barrel that, that you know, the investors want. And on the other hand, you're making sure that it doesn't get lost somewhere. And by lost, I mean into the you know the local ecosystem. And so that is an ESG message that we we have to start thinking about. Okay, hey, this is an ESG message. It's not some crazy thing that no one's actually doing that we're trying to present. No, no, no. We're trying to protect the environment, and by doing that, we're protecting local landowners. We're making sure our uh, our shareholders are getting a return, and we're doing all this and stuff. And so it, it's it's really it's hard because we're always being attacked from the outside, but. There are plenty of things, and, and we've made our stance very clear from day one of this podcast that our major concern is obviously the local person that's being impacted by a pipeline leak, which you guys are trying to track. Those are ESG positive messages. And so, um, you know, can we fix the problem with China putting billions of carbon, tons of carbon in the world? No, we can't do nothing about that. But you know what we can do? We can track our oil from, from the um, – from the reservoir all the way to the refinery. And that's an ESG positive message. And so we really need to, I'm not saying you guys aren't talking to the industry here, we really need to figure out how to double down and triple down that message because we do care about it. We care about it from just a pure profit standpoint because we're capitalists, but also we don't want to we don't want to spill on someone's farm. Absolutely not. We, we live here too, right? I mean, right. we are a Texas-based company and, you know, I, I love I love hiking and the outdoors. I mean, I want my kids and my grandkids to have a you know, beautiful uh, environment, that you know, clean air to breathe and, and all that too. I, I, th I think there's a, a good way to do it without kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. That's right. That's right. So I think I think that, that that the industry has to be careful, which is we, we could get off on this ESG stuff that's really kind of ethereal and we can't do. It, but there are plenty of things that are practical that we can do right now. Um, what have been, what's been the biggest pushback for the industry that you've got have gotten is too is it that hey we're not a tech company it's too hard to learn we can't make money we don't understand it so therefore we don't want it what's been the biggest uh, obstacle that y'all had to overcome um recently uh budgeting you know i'm, I'm talking more specifically about the majors uh it, it does seem like uh like they you know for for better or worse they are uh you know walking the walk because it seems like they they aren't funding uh some of the bigger uh, operations in you know, at least in the short term i, I don't know if that's going to turn around um and another one uh you know uh not to pivot too much, but uh, uh, CCUS, you know, uh, carbon uh, capture uh, utilization and, and sequestration is another way of offsetting uh, greenhouse gases, right? Like essentially you can you can pump that back into a reservoir. Maybe that's just long-term storage or that's uh, pressure support uh, to produce more hydrocarbons. Um, but 
that the physics behind that are not well understood. I mean, I, well, I should say the physics are well understood. The tools, the simulation and um, uh, modeling tools we have don't handle CO2 uh, as well as, as they should really to do, uh, to do proper design. Um, so that, that's one of these kind of like uh, catch 22 where, you know, everyone would like to do this, but then, you know, we, we, we're, we're trying, you know, we're courting that kind of work. And a lot of times people say, well, eh, we're not really sure how we're going to do it yet. Or, you know, do you really have the tools that will, that, you know, can you actually model this or, or, uh, you know, are you just saying you can? And, and so you mentioned the majors, what size clients are you guys going for? Are only the majors or do you all go for the, the independents and smaller operators as well? Oh, all, all of the above. In fact, um, I'd, I would say that recently, our best customers are uh, the more independents or smaller um, operators. Part of that is, um, you know, the skill set that we have around uh, flow assurance um, might not be, you know, they might not be large enough to uh, be able to have an in-house flow assurance team where the, the you know, majors of the world do. So, um, you know, we're, we're more than happy to serve as uh, operators engineer. Um, and, and we've seen a lot of growth there recently. Yeah, you mentioned the kind of some of the majors that want to put money into it. And this is always a, a weird spot, which is when you go through a downturn, sometimes you see companies shift their money to the operations and maintenance side because they really have to focus there now. Like they can't do new capital projects. Right. Um, have, did you guys see that happen during this last downturn where you, you might've seen, hey, we're not going to put a lot of money in new drilling, but we are going to double down on our O&M. I, I'm just personally, um, and, you know, anecdotally, whatever one data point, um, I didn't see that double down. Um, you know, wh whether they, they did or not, or, or whether they were uh, shifting people around internally, that's possible. Uh, I, I certainly did see a lot of reorgs in the majors, not so much in the, the uh, you know, middle tier or, or independence. Um, but yeah, I, uh, it, I, I'd say I, I don't have a, a good um, visibility, but you know, from, from uh, you know, Secondary, tertiary uh, effects, uh, I, I haven't seen that. I, I can't say that that's happening. Okay. All right, as we go into Q4, closing in here for too long, which is crazy, 2021, uh, 2022, around the corner, what are some of the trends that you guys are looking for that you're trying to advise your clients about now? Saying, hey, okay, guys, you be prepared for this. We want to make sure that we're taking care of you here. Here's something that you haven't considered that we're hearing around the industry. Um, uh, I, I mentioned CCUS. Uh, I, I do believe that this is a problem uh, that will be solved. Um, you know, the, the simulation tool set that, that's used for oil and gas engineering is being uh, retrofitted, if you will. You know, that, there's a huge effort there, um, uh, you know, around the thermohydraulic uh, response for, for uh, CO2 transported in the dense phase. Uh, I, I think that that's probably, you know, once that nut is cracked, I think that'll be a real thing. I think that investors will um, more than likely demand, you know, if not the government outright, that uh, you know certain certain tonnage of uh, of CO two is is reinjected or captured. Um, so that that's one one big one. And and the other thing, I think we're going to see a lot of production uh, globally shifting. So I wouldn't be I'd, I'd look to uh, Asia um, uh, and Africa, um, potentially even uh, Latin America for a lot of um, uh, growth. Yeah, we talked about it on here a lot, which is that, you know, the prices keep going up and you know, it's not like we're we're just, you know, throwing rigs out in West Texas left and right like we used to be. And so 
that's going to be interesting to see is when does the money come back at what price point does it come back to the u.s side but if we're not careful these rigs will go internationally uh and then we will slow the the rate the, the climb in price by you know, international rigs, whether it's africa which africa is chomping at the bit yeah. to go and to put more rigs out there like they really want to uh do this okay we do have a question here let's see here uh, from johnny uh co2 infused oil i think he's talking about your uh, maybe unpack a little bit of what you're talking about with the reinjection of the coal. oh yeah. absolutely um yeah and now now co2 uh often does travel in the oil stream um that's that's a um i would call it a harmful um uh, impurity you know it, it tends to cause corrosion um uh at least if it comes in contact with water what i'm talking about is when you have a reservoir uh, you know, let's say um, at one edge of it, you know, just to kind of describe in the, in the simplest term, let's say on, on the right side, we've got a, an oil producer. So I'm saying go over to the left side, you drill a, a pressure support well, inject that CO2. Um, you know, the, the permeability of the reservoir is likely high enough that, um, uh, you know, you're going to get some pressure effect. But I'm, I, I, I think if you actually had CO2 bleeding into the oil, uh, that would not be uh, favorable. So that would be you know, probably a time when you'd stop that and, and look at some other strategy or maybe abandon the well. Right. So mainly using CO2 um, for the drilling operation, but we don't want to mix it when we're transporting it. Yeah, right. So in, in the production phase, after um, this, this is often later in life in the reservoir, when it's not flowing under its own pressure, we can increase the, the uh, flowing bottom hole uh, well, yeah. Well, actually, we'd, we'd uh, increase reservoir pressure rather by by pushing, uh, you know, on the other side of the reservoir, if you will. Okay, Steph, why don't you tell people where they can find you? Mention your company again, and where they can connect, and anything that you might have coming up in the near future. Absolutely, um, evoleap.com, E-V-O-L-E-A-P.com. Uh, we've got some great blogs there, and uh, look me up on on uh, LinkedIn, please. Uh, it's uh, Stefanos uh, Zunez. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Okay, well, it was great to get you on, and uh, best of luck to you guys in the future. Thank you. Thanks. Have a great one. You too. All right, man. Let's see here. Uh, what else we got? I got one last thing for the roundup here. LNG sellers seek credit letters as gas price spike stretches credit limits. Uh, so they're asking for credit letters from companies they deal with to guarantee they can pay as the global spike in gas prices takes them beyond their credit limits. So um, that that was a, that was one of the articles I was referencing earlier about winter's coming, need for oh. gas. Mm-hmm. There could there could be some, uh, mm-hmm. some some issues on the horizon here. Yeah, and, and, and one of the things I liked about what Steph was saying is, is about the ESG, whether it's real or not. There are plenty of things that we do. That whether we're doing them for ESG reasons or not, primarily is a separate discussion, but they are pro ESG and we have to learn how to message those things. Um, And Mm. tracking a barrel of oil is a pro ESG argument. We should be making that over and over again. So if you are a if you are a a producer, you should be wanting to track your barrel for the time it um, you you drill it till you put it into a truck or a pipeline or wherever. Uh, if you're a midstream company, you should want to track that. You should be talking about that on a daily basis uh, in your your media, whatever you're putting out, that your number one priority is to not lose your product. Because when you lose your product, that causes bad for the environment. And of course, you want to make more money. So you want to, you never want to lose it. But it's an ESG argument that can be made 
Um, we should be making it on a more regular basis. And I'm sure there's thousands of other things like that that we don't think of that are ESG arguments that we should be making. So um, be sure to check out those guys at uh, Evo Leap and tell Steph you heard him on the podcast. With that, Mr. Shelton, we have Congressman Jody Arrington on next week. So what's your question? Are you ready for the congressman? Are you, like, you have a question? Are you ready? You can say his name right. Like just all those things, the basics. Well, uh, I rarely butcher names. Uh, I'm like the <laughs> pronunciation guru. Uh, You're so. the Tom Brady of pronunciations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, gracious. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I'm glad, I'm glad uh, he let us call him Steph. That, that made it a lot easier on us. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> thank yeah, you. I don't know if you'd have made it through. If, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I struggle with my own name, much less, um, something more than four letters. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see here. Johnny, thanks for hopping on the show today. Listeners, until next time, keep climbing.